Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is Isaiah 44, verses 1 through 8. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord's, and that one will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, Belonging to the Lord, and will name Israel's name with honor. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. There is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. There is a longing in every human heart for significance. Every person wants to reach his potential, to fulfill his destiny in life. God says that we can find significance and reach our true potential by following his path of transformation. The verses in our text today in Isaiah 44 reveal the path of transformation. There are three different names in verses 1 and 2. Isaiah begins with the name of the patriarch Jacob, given to him at his birth. The name Jacob means supplanter. Genesis 27:36 says, And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. The second name is Israel, meaning literally prince with God. The name God gave to Jacob when he wrestled with him and prevailed. We read of this experience in Genesis chapter 32, where Jacob would not let go of God until he received a blessing. The third name, Jeshurun, means the righteous one and was the name God gave to the nation of Israel to remind them of what they ought to be, a righteous and holy people among the nations. These three names contain very important biblical lessons about transformation in Christ. The first lesson they teach is that transformation requires a defining moment of change. Every unrighteous Jacob may become a righteous one if he will follow the path that Jacob walked. As we examine Jacob's life, we can discern the path of transformation. 
we see a natural, selfish Jacob in the first half of his life and a spiritually transformed Jacob in the second half of his life. In his early years, Jacob was strong-willed, independent, and self-centered. He was crafty, sometimes deceptive, and concerned only with his own self-interests. He told lies to his old blind father and stole the blessing of the firstborn from his brother Esau. He was not dependent upon God, but self-sufficient, self-absorbed, and full of self-love. The godly Saint Diodocus of Philoti teaches us that whoever loves himself cannot love God. But if, because of the overflowing richness of God's love, a man does not love himself, then he truly loves God. Midway in his path in life, Jacob came to his senses. He hit his bottom and encountered a time of deep dejection and helplessness. In a moment of profound insight, Jacob came to the end of his own self-sufficiency and self-love. Conscious of his weakness and sinfulness, he despaired of himself and threw himself on the mercy of God. God, in his great love and tenderness, met Jacob at his point of need and blessed him with a new name, signifying a new direction given to his character. For the first half of his life, Jacob lived in self-confidence, in his own strength for his own advantage. Now, in the second half of his life, he would live only for God, in constant dependence upon him to do his will and purpose. This is the path of personal transformation in Christ. When once we have been awakened to God from the darkness of sin, we must come to the place where we are lifted out of the evil and sinfulness of our own natural self and raised to the purity of a righteous life in Christ. There must be a decisive turning point, a defining moment with God where the old life is utterly put away and we enter into a new and transformed partnership with God. Listening friend, have you ever come to the end of yourself? Have you been beaten out of all your self-confidence? Have you come to the place where you know there is nothing good in you or about you that you can rely upon? that you have no strength in you except the strength that God provides. This is the only door to a transformed and changed life. The only way to rise above our fallen sinful nature to walk in holiness and righteousness before God is Jacob's experience. Jacob must become Israel before he can become Jeshurun, the righteous one. He must put sin away and enter into union and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ before he is clothed with practical righteousness. How different is the path that men take towards their own self-improvement? Currently, there is a worldwide self-help industry in excess of $12 billion per year. This represents countless millions of people striving to help themselves year after year with little or no improvement. Why does self-help fail, dear friends? Because man cannot help himself. 
He cannot conquer his self-will simply by using more self-will. Man was created to live in conscious dependence upon God. Oil in the lamp, gas in the car, God in the man, Christ in the Christian. Not self-help, but God-help. Walter L. Wilson lived 1881 to 1969. He was the former president of Kansas City Bible College, who was saved at the age of 15. Wilson came to the realization that Christ had died on the cross for him, and he needed to repent of his sins and put his whole trust in Christ to receive a new life. But in his diary, he wrote, With regard to my own experience with the Holy Spirit, I would say that the transformation in my own life on January 14, 1914 was greater, much greater than the change which took place when I was saved on December 21, 1896. How did this transformation by the Holy Spirit occur in Walter Wilson's life? He was listening to a sermon on Romans 12.1 when the pastor said, God gives you the privilege and indescribable honor of presenting your bodies to the Holy Spirit to be his dwelling place on the earth. Will you do so right now? Deeply convicted in his own heart, Dr. Wilson went home from the meeting and fell on his face in the bedroom before God. He prayed, O God, I have asked you to help me in my self-appointed work. I shall do so no more. Right now I give this body to you from my head to my feet for you to live in it the life that you please. I give you all of myself within and without. My body belongs to you from this moment on. Help yourself to it. Thank you for taking me. We now belong to each other. Dear friends, I urge you to give up the treadmill of endless weary effort to improve yourself. You have failed in self-improvement because effort in the direction of self-improvement is hopeless and futile. You must come to God and receive from Him the changed life you desire. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God wants to change you to walk in the path of his image and likeness. You must learn that the righteousness that makes you pure and beautiful must come as a gift from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The good news for all of us is that there is no one outside of the reach of God's grace. No one is so debased and disordered that he cannot respond to the message of the gospel. Every Jacob may become a righteous one, however self-centered and filled with pride and self-love he may be. There is no sickness that the Lord Jesus Christ cannot heal. Simply come to him and ask for his help. He will change you and give you his new life within. The second lesson we may learn from these three names is that transformation in Christ requires continuous conversion. 
Sadly, there are some Christian people who think that coming to Jesus once to be forgiven is enough. They say to themselves, well, I have encountered Jesus Christ and have my sins forgiven. I have had communion with God and his word and know what it is to have fellowship with him. But don't talk to me about a life of full surrender to the will of God. Don't talk to me about dying to myself and carrying my cross and following the path of daily practical righteousness. Christians who think this way must seriously examine their hearts before God. This way of thinking approaches Christianity from a consumer mindset, as though forgiveness of sins and salvation were some commodity for us to receive from God. The Christian life is not a commodity. It is a personal relationship with the living God. It is the great adventure of living day by day in union and communion with the Lord. We must remind ourselves that the whole goal of salvation is righteousness, right living, holy and transformed living. The reason Christ came and died and rose again was to make sinful people into good men and women who are able to live the eternal kind of life Christ offers. God did not become incarnate merely for us to know his name and be glad of his salvation, but to be changed within and conformed to his likeness. You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him.
God's truth was not given only to clear man's conscience and enlighten his mind. God's truth was given so that by repentance and faith we may turn from sin and self to allow God to live his life through us. God gives us his mercy and forgiveness so that we may gladly adore and serve him. He sets us free from guilt, punishment, and his wrath so that we may eagerly obey his commandments. Luke 174 says, Salvation has come that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We must always remind ourselves that righteousness is the intended result of true religion. 1 John 3 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. There is a third lesson that can be drawn from these verses. It is found in the name Jeshurun, meaning the righteous one. God, in his great mercy, calls us by the name righteous ones, even though we fall far short of the ideal. Even though the Jewish nation in the Old Testament had committed many sins, God called them Jeshurun. So it is that Christians in the New Testament are called saints of God. This name is not given only to a select few believers, but to all who believe upon and trust in Christ as Lord and Master. This is the great love and mercy of God, that he calls us righteous ones even when our outward life has not yet been brought in harmony with the new man created in righteousness after the likeness of Christ. God sees what we can become and stirs us up to fulfill the calling of our name, saints in Christ Jesus. When writing his letters to the Corinthian church, Paul says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, grace to you and peace. Then Paul reminds the believers in Ephesus, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Therefore, my dear friends, let us live up to our name. God gives us the imperative of the Christian life because he has already equipped us to obey his commands. Let us fulfill the ideal of our calling in Christ. Let us press onward towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.14. God's purpose for us as his followers is not simply a decent life, a moderately happy life. C.S. Lewis says, The people who keep on asking if they can't lead a decent life without Christ don't know what life is about. If they did, they would know that a decent life is mere machinery compared with the thing we men are really made for. Morality is indispensable. 
but the divine life which gives itself to us intends for us something in which morality will be swallowed up. We are to be remade. All the rabbit in us is to disappear, the worried, conscientious, ethical rabbit, as well as the cowardly and sensual rabbit. We shall bleed and squeal as the handfuls of fur come out. And then, surprisingly, we shall find underneath it all a thing we have never yet imagined, a real man, a son of God, strong, radiant, wise, beautiful, and drenched in joy. This is what God is after. We are to be remade into little Christs, and that remaking process means bleeding and squealing as the handfuls of fur come out. Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer, lived from 1874 to 1917. He talks frequently about continuous conversion. He says we must initially be converted, but we must also be continuously converted all the days of our lives. We must continually turn to God as little children. God holds us responsible every time we refuse to convert ourselves, and our reason for refusing is willful obstinacy. We must not allow our natural life to rule. God must always rule over us. There are whole tracts of our lives which have not yet been brought into subjection to God, and it can only be done by continuous conversion. Slowly but surely we can claim the whole territory of our lives for the Spirit of God. Gerhard Terstegen was a German devotional writer and hymnist who lived 1697 to 1769. He has a beautiful prayer of surrender to the Holy Spirit, which reads, O Lord, we acknowledge thy dominion over us. Our life, our death, our soul and body all belong to Thee. O grant that we may willingly consecrate them all to Thee and use them in Thy service. Let us walk before Thee in childlike simplicity, steadfast in prayer, looking ever unto Thee, that whatsoever we do or abstain from doing, we may in all things follow the least inclinations of Thy will. Become Lord of our hearts and spirits, that the whole inner man may be brought under thy rule, and that thy life of love and righteousness may pervade all our thoughts and energies and the very ground of our souls, that we may be wholly filled with thee. Come, O Lord and King, enter into our hearts and live and reign there forever and ever. O faithful Lord, teach us to trust Thee for life and death and to take Thee for our all in all. Amen. To go along with his prayer, Turgustine wrote a hymn entitled Conquering Prince and King of Glory. Listen to these wonderful words. Throned on high and all things filling, Thou art with us evermore. Now my soul with rapture thrilling opens wide for thee its door. Come, O come, thou King of glory, establish thy dominion over me. 
live in me and reign alone as upon thy heavenly throne. As we pray such prayers and hymns, we become one with the Lord Jesus Christ. As we keep close to the Lord and trust him and live in the light of his face, then we will become more and more one with him. Our hearts will cling to him in a union so real and deep that his life will become our life. His strength will become our strength. Then, walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we will be clothed in his garments of righteousness. We will become little Christs and be found in him at last in peace, not having our own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Finally, look at verse 8. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. This is the glorious result of transformation in Christ. We become his witnesses. We build our lives on the firm rock of God and constantly testify to his greatness and supremacy. Psalm 71.14 says, But I will hope continually. I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day long. Dear friends, trust in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. Be transformed by him and let him make you his witnesses both locally and to the ends of the earth. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G A U D E T E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.